Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. I won't keep you standing. I just need one scripture up on the screen I'm going to share with you this morning. Let them continue to pray. I believe that she was speaking. Let God have his way. Let God have his way. I'm going to tell you what, if he stops me in the middle of this, I'm going to put this microphone down. And if the Holy Ghost is going to move and you start getting filled with the Holy Ghost and God's spirit moves, we're shutting the sound system off and we're going to follow the spirit of God as it moves through this place and people's lives are changed because I'm going to tell you something. Woo! Jesus' name. Come on. If anybody else wants to join them, I'm not going to be offended. You can go up there and pray. That's all right. I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to tell you what. It, a thousand sermons, a hundred different lessons, 50 Bible studies cannot do what one single move of God can do in a sanctuary like this. If we let the Holy Ghost go and it begins to cross this place, I'm telling you it's worth more than a thousand Bible studies, more than a thousand sermons from better preachers than I'll ever be. It's worth more because God can move. It's His Spirit. It's Him moving in the congregation. And that's where healings are going to happen. That's where lives are going to be changed. That's where kids are going to be called into the ministry. I'll tell you what, folks, if we begin to get this idea, if we get it inside us, there's nothing we can't do. There's nothing we can't do in this world if we get this inside us. And I got a message for you today, and I'm going to try to get into it, but I'll tell you, if we're led, I'm going to let go. But I have a powerful, powerful message for you this morning. You think, wow, that's pretty bold, Mr. Hotshot. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not my message. And I'll prove it to you. In my notes, I highlight scriptures in yellow, and I, highlight, I don't highlight my parts. So there it is. It's a powerful message because it's the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. If you can hang on for just a moment longer. 1 Timothy 3 and 16. Many of you know it. Many of you could quote it and should be right along with me. It says, without controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That word mystery does not mean unknown or unknowable. It simply means that there's a powerful message there, a powerful awesomeness to what God has in his message and why he came. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the, in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Folks, there's one person that's ever existed on the history of mankind that fulfills all of those pieces of the, that scripture, and it's our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You can be seated this morning. Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you today about the power of one. God laid this message in my heart and it's so powerfully indelible on me. I just, I couldn't, I just, I'm so, I'm, I'm just ready to roll. I walked in here this morning, he said, somebody's gonna get the Holy Ghost this morning and he's fulfilling his word this very moment. That's the God that we serve. The United States Army has a motto and it says the power of one. It's, 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 it's about unity. They talk about being a single unit. Maybe if you've been in the military, it's about 
everything combined together. There is power in one. There's power in that unity. It's strength. It's indivisible. The number one cannot be divided. It can be fractioned, but it's singular. It's focus. And so the reason they use that model is because they realize that all the parts and the pieces and the components of the military force that need, need, need to be, they need to be on the same page. They need to be focused on the same thing. There's not 15 army manuals. There's one army manual. There's not 15 ways to be a Navy SEAL. There's one Navy SEAL manual. What I'm saying to you is there's power in this unity, in this oneness. And I'm going to talk to you today. I'm going to lead you through scriptures. And I'm sorry, I've got the one scripture I'll make copies of my notes for you, but I'm going to blaze through these, uh, and I'll share them with you. I'll make them available, and you can have my notes, but I'm going to get through these scriptures, and you're going to walk away today, and you're going to understand the importance and the power of why it has to be one. It has to be one, and we understand. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was behind the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. How many know that God is a spirit? The book of John says that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He is God. He is our father. The book of Hebrews says that he talks and he says that thou hast prepared a body for me. That he that the book of Hebrews is talking about is God Almighty. But you have to understand he needed a body in order to become the propitiation for our sins, the Savior that we know and can see and understand. But more so, he did it so that he could understand what we feel and what we deal with. Everywhere in Scripture... Where you see father, people struggle with the term the father and the son and the Holy Ghost. You have to understand it's a role, it's a manifestation that God has given us. The role of father can be exchanged with spirit because it just told you, God is a spirit. And they that must worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's a spirit. So you can interchange the word spirit with the word father. Where you see son in scripture... I just told you in the book of Hebrews, it says that you've prepared a body for me. Obviously, son, the representation of son, the relationship of God to Jesus was a body. So where you see the word son in scripture, you can interchange the word body. I'm not being a heretic, folks. I'm I'm backing it with scripture. I'm backing it where it says you prepared a body for me. Now, many people get tripped up in Genesis chapter 1 and 26 and thir- through 31. It says this. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh, fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Who's the us that's there? And people struggle with that and they try to understand. Well, that clearly says that God's up there and he's talking to Jesus and he's talking to the Holy Ghost and they're planning to make the earth, right? That's what, the, that's what we, we can easily trip into that. But I challenge you, I challenge you to look into the book of Genesis and you show me where specifically it says he's talking to somebody, he's talking to Jesus or the Holy Ghost. Because here is what really is represented there. He's speaking in terms of what we call the plural of majesty. Kings and queens for centuries have been speaking like this. When they decree, they're using the sum total of all of their power and their assets of their empire. And they're saying, we shall make this decree. Let us call, let us have this person come forward. They're not talking about multiple people. They're talking about the sum total of all of their power and their assets because they're the king of all of it. 
How many know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Amen. But I want to point something out to you as you go forward down that, that passage of Scripture. Verse 27, so God created man. Now all of a sudden everything changes to a singular. Why? Because it's God. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he, him. And male and female created he, them. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in, in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding, uh, tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Verse 30, and to every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. He says again, I have given every herb, green herb for the meat, and it was so. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good in the evening of the morning were the sixth day. He was speaking in the plural of majesty. He is the king of all of it. Everything, the sum total of all of his power, everything that was within his grasp. Malachi chapter 2.10 simply says this, have we not all one father, hath not one God created us? First Timothy 3.16 that I just read you simply said that God was manifest in the flesh. Well, Brother Cordo, why is that so important? Why is it powerful? I'm getting there. We got to get this, folks. This is foundational. It's critical. It's the pillar and it's the tenet of Scripture. The relationship we have with God, the relationship that churches have with God in this world is under attack. The enemy wants to divide and divide and divide and create new doctrines and create new ideas. There's so many different versions of how many gods that are up there, I couldn't even possibly begin to count. But the church is under attack and you need to understand that. So this was God's plan from the very beginning as he brought Jesus. He brought this redemption, this mediator, this body, as it said in Hebrews. 1 John chapter 5 and 7, remember this scripture. It says, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, we've all heard that before. I understand. For many of you, you're going, this is, this is rerun. Some of you are not. But God has a reason for reinforcing this in you. You must know. You must know in your heart, in your soul, in your mind that there's one God, one Father, one baptism, one Lord, one faith. That's all that there is. Why? It's essential to the message that we deliver to people because salvation will stumble and it'll crumble. Churches and doctrines and faiths and religion, all that stuff is going to be stubble, wiped away. All we're going to have left, all that's really going to be meaningful is the foundational doctrine of what God brought from the very beginning in the book of Genesis and all the way through scripture. Many of you folks know very well the redemptive message begins, John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word. Remember I said in 1 John, the word and the Holy Ghost and the Father are one. We've talked about this in scripture before. We've preached it before that the word word does not mean just a word. It means, it means plan and, 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 and symbolism. It's a plan that God had. The word actually translates as logos. It's where we get the word logo from. A word logo, the golden arches is represented. If you saw the golden arches, you know what word goes with that. The word McDonald's goes with the golden arches. That's why they do that. It's called branding. And so... God has his branding in this. In John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The plan, the man and everything, the sum total of his assets are one thing. 
the way I think, the way I feel, the role that I play as a father, as a husband, as a son. Those roles are all me, one person, one guy, one thing with many roles and many facets. See, the, the Holy Ghost is going to do its thing and it's going to confirm in you why you need to know this. I don't need to tell you why I need to know. I need to be obedient to God Almighty and preach every bit of this word. And so you just get on the board with me here and you're going to see exactly where this is going to go. You go down to verse 14 and it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, we know who the only begotten of the Father is. It's Jesus Christ. Now, if we go back to 1 John chapter 1, it says this, that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, see, I'm still in this whole Genesis idea. I'm trying to give you the foundation of this thing. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. This is John speaking, the apostle John. And our hands have handled of the word of life. John is confirming that we were with him. We saw him with our eyes. We held him in our hands. We understood who he was. He's the word of life. This is first John, the same John that wrote the previous John that said in the beginning the word was with God and the word was God. He had the revelation, see, they understood. And I know there's some people that are gonna hear this message that it's just, it's gonna struggle to click. Maybe you were born and raised in an environment that simply said all that there is is holy God, is just Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and that's it. And somebody asked me recently, well, if, if we do things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, are we going to hell? I said, absolutely not. But I know this, that neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The Bible says to do all's all in his name. Why? Because there's the power. Following up with that word of life comment, Hosea, the prophet Hosea, chapter 13 and 4, says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. God is speaking through the prophet Hosea and actually uses the word Savior. Well, are you familiar through history of 15, 16 different Saviors? No. There's one Savior. One Lord, one faith, one Savior. It's Old Testament. I'm popping back and forth here a little bit. But there's more in the plan of redemption through remission, and we start to get the picture of what God did in this process. In Hebrews chapter 9 and 22, listen to this conversation. Hebrew, I'm going to go back to Hebrews 2 also. Hebrews 9 and 20 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there's no remission. That's why God needed a body. See, because in his law, I don't know why. It never does say. God doesn't say, well, I'm going to explain to you why I decided to make these decisions. We don't get that. It's kind of like your dad says, go clean your room and then do this and do that. And you say, why? <laughs> you don't say why. You do what dad says. Dad says that only blood, the shedding of blood, will remit sins. See, as human beings, we try to make the apron. We, we try to form our own righteousness like they did in the Garden of Eden. We want to make our own way to be righteous. But God said, uh-uh, that ain't going to do it. Fig leaves don't cover it. I'm going to have to kill some animals and I have to put some skins on you. So blood was shed to redeem even the first two people that ever existed. So he's got to have a body 
in order to relate to us, to feel our pain, to, the Bible says to sucker with us, that's S-U-C-C-O-R, that's to relate or to feel like us, to empathize and to shed blood. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and 13. I'm going to give you a second to get there because I know I'm racing through, but this one I want you to follow me with if you can. Hebrews chapter 2 and 13. Jaden, you're doing a great job up there, buddy. Hebrews 2 and 13 says this, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Okay, when he says children, he's talking about his people, his creation, us. So he says, well, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much as then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage again that's you and me so what he's saying is is he had to take part of the same meaning he had to take part of flesh he had to be like you and me that through death he can destroy what the devil's got. Remember, he went down. He took away from the devil the keys to the kingdom, the death, hell, and the grave. Took it away from the devil. Can you imagine that day? Can you imagine Jesus hanging on the cross? There must have been a party like no other going on in hell. The devil's an idiot. He's short-sighted. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful and all-seeing. And that fool probably sat down there with all of his minions just laughing and partying it up. Oh, we got him. He's on the cross and he suffered and he died. All of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Lucifer's like, who's at the door? Imagine the guy that had to open the door. He probably vaporized or something. I don't even. <laughs> Lucifer? Hi there. I'd like the keys, please. By the way, the gates of hell will never prevail against what I'm about to set up on mankind right now. Thanks a lot for what you did. See you later. Your hell and your eternity is waiting for you. That had to be a fantastic day. Verse 16 then says this. For verily, he, who's the he we're talking about there? Remember, this, this passage of scripture is about God. God hath given him this, he'd taken on flesh, he put, took part of the same. But it says, for verily, he, there's a choice being made here. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He became flesh. And we know that Jesus is the lineage of, of Abraham. So that he that this passage is talking about is God Almighty. He chose. He made a decision. I'm not going to take on the nature of angels. That's not going to connect me with the people. I'm going to take on the seed of Abraham. Now watch this. Acts chapter 20 and 28. Acts chapter 20 and 28 says this. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves... And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 
God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God does not have a body. But he needed a body. So God can't have blood. You see what I'm saying? It's revelatory. He doesn't have blood. He's a spirit. He chose to take on him the nature of man, the seed of Abraham. And Acts 20 and 28 says he did it with his own blood. And that's because Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, justified in the world, seen of angels, received on into glory. That's what we're talking about today. You have to get it in your heart and soul. You have to understand it's one God, one God, one God, indivisible, one powerful God who's determined for you the path of salvation. More yellow, I'm telling you, it's, it's all yellow. And I want to show you some cool stuff. And we're going to go back into the Old Testament and we're going to pop back and forth and just show you how this plan existed, the permanence, the beauty of it. Do you know I've preached before in this, in this very pulpit and I've said that the law said that by the, the witness or by the mouth of two or three, let it be established. I did a whole message on what had to be established. You've got to find it again and again. One scripture is really not just enough to found an entire doctrine on. I'm sorry, but if you think Matthew 28, 19 was a foundational scripture for how we need to do everything across the entire Bible, I'm sorry, but that's not true. Those were the stations of God. In Father, he was spirit. In Son, he was body. In Holy, Do- Holy Ghost, he was the redemptive, regenerative power of people. Those are stations and roles and manifestations of God. Isaiah, and I'm, I'm going on to continue to prove this for you. Isaiah chapter 9 and 6. And you guys know this very well. I'm going to go quickly. For unto us a child is born. This is Isaiah. This is Old Testament. Four, five, six hundred years prior to the birth of Christ. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Remember I said the word son. You can interchange it with body. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. It's capital G in the scripture on purpose. And the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now many of you again are saying, well I know that one, I like that one. That's, we've said that, all, I quote it myself. Luke chapter 1 and 35, a similar era. says, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And, and someone might say, well, see, there's, there's two, three things going on there, three, three different roles. Look at it, Matthew 1 and 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Well, that's just a cute way of saying that God and Jesus are one. They're united together in their plan. But the book of Isaiah in chapter 52 and verse 6 says this, Therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know. Now this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, saying therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak, behold it is I. Remember what Jesus said that finally got him in trouble with the Sadducees and the Pharisees? What they, after all the time they tried to pin him down, all the time they brought their accusers, it wasn't until he answered the question of Pontius Pilate and he said, yes, I am he. I am. And then they picked up stones because they, they were going to stone him to death. He became that witness. 
but he was just repeating himself from Isaiah chapter 52 and 6. It is I. Let's look at 1 John again. Now, again, I'm sorry if you're bouncing back and forth. I told you I'd share the scriptures with you. 1 John 5 and 20 says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, see, different things, different guy. He's a son, there's God and there's a son. But then it says, this is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is the true God. We know that we gain eternal life through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But let's back up a little bit in 1 John to 3.16. Simply says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he, now this is God, because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't die. He's eternal. But it says he gave his life. What life did he give? He gave that body that he robed himself in, that Jesus Christ redemptive body that he brought to us to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that redemptive, regenerative power that he brought in the blood that he took on himself. Now, if we jump back into the Old Testament, watch how this, this just brings it back around. Isaiah 43, chapter 10 excuse me, 40, uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, says this. It says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. E I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no, what? Savior. There is no Savior. He used the word again. Are you seeing it? Is it coming together? Is anybody in here getting the revelation of the oneness? I want to firm you guys up on this so solid because when you get out there to begin to witness, I'm telling you, it's paramount. It's absolutely tantamount to the mission that we have ahead of us. We've got to have this rock solid in our hearts and in our minds. And when you're challenged with it, why? Because the whole world is stuck on this doctrine that says there's three different things going on and three different people to pray to and all that kind of stuff. They're sincere. They love God. I'm not taking anything away from that. But what I'm saying is it's sapping the power out of the whole thing because God says it's his name that has the authority. It's his name whereby we must be saved. Somebody said, am I wrong? Am I going to hell because I pray and I do things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? I said, absolutely not. But the problem is that thing starts to trickle into the important things like where you're baptized and how you're doing things. Man, I'm telling you folks, there's been time in my life, just so you know, by the way, for many of you, before you got here this morning, first of all, there was powerful, intense prayer going on over here, our music group praying together. Then we had our powerful time and God really led me to say this, we're gonna run the devil out of this place. Man, he scattered out of here. Ain't, ain't no devil messing with you right now. I'll tell you what. Nowhere near anywhere in this place because we got together and in the name of Jesus, we cast him out. He's gone. He's out of this situation. But I'll tell you this much. You get into a thicket. You get into a problem. Something's going on in your life. Your child just got diagnosed with some horrible disease. Some terrible thing has happened to you and you get up on your heels and you start dancing and you go, devil, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. He's going to laugh in your face. There is no power in that. 
You understand there's no power, but all you got to do is stand up and you say quietly, devil, you don't know me. You, you don't understand who I am. And I'm going to tell you right now, in the name of the Jesus, you're going to get up and you're going to get out of here. And the Bible says he's going to do it. And I've done it many times. And I'm telling you, he scatters. He's gone. Devil tried to take my youngest son from me at birth. Got down on my knees and in the name of Jesus, you're not going to take my son from me. Tried to take my daughter away from me. Just recently, within the last couple of years, scaring us with, with ovarian cancer. And I tell you what, we didn't get up there and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I hope everything works out okay. No, that's not what we did. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be gone. You say it, and he's got to go. That's all there is to it. You have that power and that authority in the Holy Ghost. Do you understand? Take hold of it. Somebody reach out like this and go, I've got it. I've got it. Now, I want everybody in this place to go, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know how far the devil has to go. He could be on Pluto for all I know. I don't care. But he ain't here. Isaiah 43, back to that. I'm sorry, 44. Verse 6. We're going to read verse 6 and verse 8. It says this, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Verse 8 says this, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. One chapter ahead, Isaiah 45, 5 and 6. And then I'm going to jump down to 21. It says this, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Folks, I've encountered people that honestly in their earnestness and true love of God and understanding of what they were given, they truly see and believe that here's God and here's the right hand and here's the left hand and here's a Jesus and here's a Holy Ghost. That's why the word keeps on saying, he kept speaking through Isaiah, there is none beside me, there's nobody here, there's nobody there, it is I, I am he, I am God. Amen. Orthodox Jews have something in their home called a mezuzah. Anybody know what a mezuzah is? I'm sure some do. Okay, mezuzah is a little box. It can be made out of brass and ivory and, and all these fancy things and all that stuff. And inside the mezuzah, they have a little piece of scripture. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Anybody know it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And they put this little box. A lot of them, the real Orthodox Jews, still take it and they put it up above the, the, the door post in their house, every doorway in their home. And here's what they do. They walk through, touch it, kiss their lips. When they go back out, they touch one on that side, kiss their lips. They live it every single day of their lives. You see why I'm saying this is important? They're, this is God's people. They know who he is. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, there's one God. They say it all the time. They live it. They wear it. The priests had the phylactery and, and all the stuff that they wore and the mitre and everything on that was one God, one God, one God, one God everywhere. That's how tantamount, how incredibly important it is for you and I to understand. 
I'll tell you what, if God's chosen are doing this, I'm not saying we're supposed to go be like Jews. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is, if they understand it, it was important to them that they live it every single day of their lives. They wear it and they touch it and they taste it and they kiss it and they talk it and they say it. We should understand it's incredibly important to God. Verse 21 in that same passage says this, Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared from the ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. Now listen to this next line. I love this line. It says, A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. He goes on to say down in verse 23, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. Now listen to this, this is beautiful. That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. That's God speaking through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Christ ever existed. But look at Philippians chapter 2 and 10. This is Paul writing to the Philippians, talking about Jesus Christ when he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now either Paul was writing heresy and he was confounding what God said through Isaiah or he was talking about the same guy. So let's pop back over to Isaiah. 46 and 9 says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. If you have a son, I have a son, I have four sons. And I have people all the time see Kyle see some of my boys and oh my goodness he's like, exactly like you and Kyle does my mannerisms and all that people make fun of me all the time well this dude's basically saying there is none like him and if God had some mystical ethereal offspring somewhere in the cosmos and brought him in in this deal why would he say there's none like me why would he first of all why would he pick somebody completely not like him but second of all if it's his son wouldn't he bear the qualities and the characteristics of his father? Well, he absolutely does because they're one and the same. Isaiah 48 and 12 says this, Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. Israel is his called, his chosen people. I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. Again, this is Isaiah. This is a few hundred years before Jesus, but let's look at Revelation 1 and 8. It's also in verse 11, and it's also in verse 17, where he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is he. This is Jesus talking in Revelation through John, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Jesus declares himself the Almighty, capital A. Verse 11, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. The God of the Old Testament that spoke through Isaiah and Hosea and, and through Zechariah is the God who's standing there speaking to Paul and giving him the revelation of the final days of this world. You can stand with me this morning. 
What is it about one? What is it about that we have to know that it's one God? It's where the power is. It's where the understanding is. It's his identity. If we try to prescribe to him an identity of multiple people, multiple facets, multiple things that he's not, we dilute and delude the power of what he brought to us. When man enters into the picture and begins to create his own images and his own ideas, that begins to delude. There is no power in that. And what I'm saying to you today, church, is you got to get ready. You got to get ready to stand on that one God. That one God who's going to be the God who is going to light this congregation up. And that spirit is going to... I'm looking for the day when I step up here and I have to put the microphone back down because I can't even get to preaching the word of God because the Holy Ghost is moving so hard in our congregation that people are being filled and refilled with the Holy Ghost and healings are beginning to happen and young men and women are stepping up and saying, God just called me to the ministry. God just called me to the ministry. I just got healed of a horrible back problem. Whatever it may be, it's coming. And I'm setting the expectation today. But we've got to have the understanding and the power of Jesus Christ, the identity of who he is, before any of that starts to take off. And I'm encouraging you today. Listen, one last scripture. And I think this is the greatest one maybe of the whole thing because it wraps it all up into a pretty little bow. And many of you know it very much. James chapter 2 and 19 says, Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. And the devils believe. And they tremble. Folks, if you want power over the enemy, if you want to be successful in this walk, if you want to make it through this life, if you want to see someday those streets of gold and those gates of pearl, if you really want to be successful in what we're doing here today, you take hold of that scripture and you believe that there is one God because thou doest well. And when you do that, you'll know that the devil is trembling because if the devil believes that there's one God, I'm telling you what, we better get on that train and we better get a hold of the name of Jesus and begin to start using it and praying in it and reaching it out and screaming it out and saying, devil, you get away from my family. You get away from my church. You get away from my pastor. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want to invite some prayer warriors down to this altar today. I want somebody to come, to come down that really got a hold of this today. And if it's nobody, y'all can go. Come down here and get a hold of it. Say, yes, God. That's all I want you to do today. If you believe it in your heart, if you had that in your heart today, if you said, yes, yes, Brother Cordell, I see it. I know it. I know there's one God. Step down to this altar today. Throw your arms in the air and say, yes, God. You are one Lord. You are one Lord. And I know it's one God in Jesus' name. Come on down. Enjoy his spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.